programs we air. That's a fact. Every program has a cost, yet this station is free for everyone because of listeners like you. Give us what you can now at WJFFradio.org. Thanks. It's WJFFradio.org. I'd also love to hear from you at 845-482-4141, 845-482-4141. Call to make your donation over the phone that way. We'd love to hear from you. 845-482-4141. I'm going to go to org. I'm going to right now because I know that when I click donate, I'm not actually making a donation myself right now, though I do encourage you to do that. Uh, but I click it because then I get to see the progress that we've made. And so far, we've raised $7,161 towards our goal of $50,000. It means we're 14% of the way there. And we want to thank uh, listener Ezra for being the most recent donor. Thank you so much, Ezra, for making your donation. You can join Ezra and the other folks that we heard from during the news today, uh, Christopher Van Etten and also listener Abigail and you can join them by making your donation and supporting this radio station. Please call now, give now, 845-482-4141. Go to WJFFradio.org. Stay tuned. we got the local edition coming up next. Music from a musician's perspective. I'm Kathy Geary. And on Now and Then, we explore the artistry of the singer-songwriter. Now and Then, Saturday afternoons at 3 on Radio Catskill. Listen local. CDC recommends everyone six months and older get an updated COVID-19 vaccine to protect against the potentially serious outcomes of COVID-19 illness this fall and winter. To find COVID-19 vaccine locations near you, text your zip code to 438-829, call 1-800-232-0233, or go to wjffradio.org, where you'll find a vaccine locator and COVID tracker. Radio Catskill, keeping you connected. there. Welcome to the local edition. I'm Jason Dole. We're having fun here at Radio Catskill as we raise funds here at Radio Catskill. It's our fall fund drive. When you get a chance, support this program that brings you local news and information every weekday. Support the station brings you local news, information, conversations every weekday, twice a day in the morning now, as well as the evening, Radio Chatskill at 10 a.m., the local edition at 6 p.m. And thank you so much to all of the listeners who have made this possible with all of their generous donations. If you're not one of those folks, I encourage you to be now. Go to WJFFradio.org or call us here at 845-482-4141.
And tonight on the local edition, we do what we usually do on a Wednesday. We get the latest news from the River Reporter. It's our weekly news roundup with the River Reporter. And from the River Reporter tonight, we have Liam Mayo. Once again, Liam, welcome back to the show. Thanks for having me back. So um, I actually uh, heard about an article. Well, first off, wait, Liam, before we get into the news, I want to tell you a little bit of news here that moments before I went on air, I happened to look out our front window here and just saw we get some really great sunsets here on Route 52 uh, this time of day. And the sun was setting in the most amazing way, shining on the Radio Catskill sign and the fall foliage on Walnut Mountain in the background. And the, the dove that we have here from the Visitor Association just looked absolutely magical. And when I get a chance, I'll put that picture up on Facebook during the show so folks can see it. But that's some breaking news is pretty good sunset between the clouds, if you didn't see it, uh, take a peek outside in our area. So sorry for scooping you on that one, Liam. <laughs> no worries. But yeah, um, you know, elections coming up, and I knew that there was some kind of redistricting in Sullivan County where every legislative district is on the ballot uh, this year. Uh, but I didn't realize that that might impact people's polling places. And I understand you might have some reporting that, that uh, clarifies that. Yeah, uh, we did an article clarifying a couple of different impacts from redistricting. Um, I think, first off, this is the first election cycle since uh, the 2022 redistricting of the county legislative districts. So um, if you're, you go in to vote for a legislator candidate and you were very much aware of your district in uh the last time you voted, I think that would have been 2019, um, but you missed the fact that they've done a redistricting, you might go in thinking you're voting for a different candidate than you actually are because you're, the district changed around you. Um, there are a couple of districts that look pretty similar to the old districts, and then there are a couple that look very different. Uh, for instance, what is, I think, what is now District 5 is split between uh, two former districts, uh, one and five. Um, so that's kind of the broad, big picture problem with the redistricting. Um, but the uh, smaller uh, one involves your voting location. So each county legislative district must be voted for at a distinct voting location. And to work around sort of the state level rules, the County Board of Elections has created 20 new election districts going from 86 to 88 districts. So not only has uh, the district you're voting in changed, the polling place you may be voting at uh, may have changed as well. Um, according to our article, uh, you can visit voterlookup.elections.newyork.gov to try and find your polling place information. Um you may also have gotten a yellow card in May indicating both your legislative district and your voting location. Okay. And I, I understood, I don't know if you, if you uh, heard this information at all, but there, there, is there a rule about not having more than one candidate uh, from a district at a, at a particular polling place? Did, did you hear anything about that? Um, I'm not familiar with that specifically or at least it's not registering in my brain right now. that's okay um oh and that, yeah i'm sorry i was just gonna say that's okay because i was just uh just uh, something that i'd heard and uh well you know 
we're all about the facts here, and I wanted to see if you had any facts for that. So right now that's up in the air. But, you know, as we do our election coverage here, we're going to uh, be talking to the, the the commissioners for the Sullivan County Board of Elections so that they can add on and follow up with anything else that people need to know about voting and keeping in mind uh, anything they need to keep in mind as we get closer to election day and that'll be coming up uh, fairly soon here on the local edition as well as we're talking to candidates uh, all over all over um our listening area so that's all coming up yeah no there, there's a lot to report on this election season and um like you said it's important to report on facts but it, the article um we wrote has a couple of opinions from uh town supervisors, uh, the town supervisors for uh, Calicoon and Thompson, and their concerns about um, the redistricting confusion leading to fewer people voting. It is a fact that um, voting in, or the like, number of people who vote in off years, such as this one, that were, that aren't having a presidential or a midterm election on the ballot, uh, voting numbers go way down in those years, even though that's when a lot of the like really important local races are decided. Um, so people were concerned that uh, with that sort of statistical trend, if you add the uh, confusion around redistricting on top of that, it just may lead to a lot fewer people voting than ordinarily would. Uh, so it's it just goes to highlight the importance of making sure you know where your polling location is, making sure you get out to vote for these legislative races. Absolutely. All right. And now, so what other news are you looking at? Um, uh, is there uh, the firemen telling you something? <laughs> yes. Uh, so we highlighted an event that was held uh, to celebrate um, Fire Prevention Month. So October is designated Fire Prevention Month, and specifically uh, the week of October 8 through 14 is designated Fire Prevention Week. Um, And there was an event on October 8 bringing together a bunch of uh, fire departments in around the Highland Lumberland area, Highland Lake, Lumberland, Shahola, White Lake, Ulan, as well as the Highland and Lumberland Ambulance Services. Um, and it, the event sort of um, was focused in large part on young kids to try and get them to um, practice fire safety, to learn more about the uh, fire trucks and firefighters who try and keep them safe, uh, but then also just to highlight uh, the theme of Fire Prevention Week uh, this year, which is Cooking Safety Starts With You. Um, and something we've reported on from that event was it ended with sort of an unplanned fire emergency call for uh, a fire alarm going off because of overly cooked food. So uh, this event that was in part to promote fire safety around food cooking ended with fortunately a uh, call out for that exact thing that did not involve in any damage. Okay. Well, that's good to know. Um, and then finally, uh, you you have a story on a word that I don't think I've ever read before, let alone said out loud. I'm going to try it right now. 
Agrivol- agrivoltaics. Is that it? Yeah, I think that's it. I, I hadn't encountered this uh, word before either, but um, it's a concept that kind of makes intuitive sense. Um, I'd encountered before sort of the idea that farmers can use their uh, their non-usable fields for solar panel production. So if they've got some fields that they aren't currently using for crops or for livestock, uh, you can put some solar panels up on there, and the money from leasing to the solar panels comes back to the farmer, and it sort of helps everybody. It It's kind of as another way of harvesting the sunlight um, while taking care of some land that wouldn't otherwise be used and uh, helping both clean energy and the farmer's finances. Um, what agrivoltaics is, is the idea that goes like a one step further from that. Um, so it builds on this idea that solar power is just one other way of turning sunlight into useful resources like farming does turning sunlight into food um, and it combines them with um, other forms of farming so it's the dual use of land um, where you'll build out a solar array but you'll do so in such a way where you can also use the land for crop production or for animal grazing so um, our article highlighted some, a couple of pre-existing examples with uh, Penn State having sheep grazing around their panels, um, as well as uh, pollinator-friendly plantings. Uh, there's as well a uh, project coming to Poughkeepsie that will be growing strawberries, tomatoes, and peppers. Um, but it also just sort of highlighted that this is a new concept that is starting to take off, this idea of pairing solar plant power with um, other sorts of farming. Yeah, and that might uh, lower some folks' resistance to uh, you know giving land over to a solar arrays. So that's great. Well, this is, this is very informative, as always, Liam, and I want to thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us tonight. Yeah, thanks for having me. All right. This is Radio Catskill. It's the local edition. We're going to pause now, take a break before we come back with our next guest. We're checking in with New York Focus, talking about New York City migrants wondering where they're going to go next as the fall is now here and it's the end of the year. What comes next for them? We'll be talking to reporter Sophie Hurwitz. You don't want to go anywhere for that, and you do want to support the station that makes all of this possible There's great local news and information coming to you on your radio or your device. However you're listening to us, we're glad you're listening. We want you to make sure that you can keep listening and do your part to make sure that everyone can keep listening by supporting this station because we are listener-supported. Most of the funds that run this radio station come from listeners just like you, and I'm asking you to be one of those listeners right now who can support us. Go online, wjffradio.org. Click Donate Now at wjffradio.org. Or give us a call, donate over the phone, 845-482-4141. That's 845-482-4141. Call us at 845-482-4141 or go to wjffradio.org. We're going to take a quick break and we will be right back, right here. Hmm. 
Support for Radio Catskill comes from 52 and Vine, a wine and spirit shop in Jeffersonville featuring local, national, and eclectic vintners and distillers. 52andvine.com. From the Upper Delaware Welcome Center at the Narrowsburg Union, featuring information about regional attractions and activities, along with products by the region's artists, artisans, makers, and craftsmen at Catskills Curated. Narrowsburgunion.com. I'm Amy Goodman, host of Democracy Now!, independent, grassroots, global news. Our reporting includes breaking daily news headlines and in-depth interviews with people on the front lines of the world's most pressing issues. People speaking for themselves, providing unique and sometimes provocative perspectives on global events. Democracy Now!, weekdays at noon, right here on Radio Catskill. On live radio, things don't always go according to plan. But, um, oh, I'm sorry. That's my dog. Ooh. Is that Buster? Hello, Buster. Currently a quarter uh, million dollars per account. We should know it sounds like your dog likes to talk about the FDI too. <laughs> I mean, Martinez, things might go to the dog sometimes, but NPR and this station stay focused on you. Here's how to support us. Go to WJFFradio.org to make your donation now. That's WJFFradio.org. You can also give us a call at 845-482-4141 and donate that way. All right, up next on the local edition, we're looking at the fact that a small group of mutual aid workers assembled several dozen migrant men from a nearby shelter and brought them to Bushwick City Farm. This was just last month, mid-September. These volunteers started discussing with the men the idea of leaving New York Given the city's chaotic conditions and limited space, a question then was where could they relocate? New York Focus interviewed uh, four of these migrants at the Stockton Street Respite Center located across from Bushwick City Farm. Sophie Her- Her- Sophie Hurwitz is now on the line with us to share her findings. Welcome to the program, Sophie. Thanks for having me. So can you talk to us about the, the men that you spoke to and, and what kind of conversations you've had? And what, what have you learned about who they are and where they're coming from? Sure. Well, most of the folks I've spoken to have been younger men. Like we're talking between the ages of 18 and 30. Some of these guys are honestly teenagers. Um, most of the folks that I've been talking to have been from places like Mauritania, Senegal or Venezuela, um, though there are also people from other countries trying to navigate the asylum system in New York, too, of course. Some of them are older. Some come with their kids or come with families. But mostly I've been talking to these younger guys because primarily the folks I've been talking to have been people who've stayed at the Stockton Respite Center. So what you need to know about the respite centers is that those are different from the city humanitarian emergency response shelters. Those are the ones that are often in hotels that you might have heard more about. Um The respite centers were initially supposed to be temporary. They were supposed to be places that people would really only be staying at for a week or two. But then, as we know, people have ended up staying at these places for months. And generally, the folks in the respite centers tend to be younger single men. So hence that demographic. Um, Often, they end up getting moved between these shelters, though they're given only a few hours notice of when they'll be moved, either to different respite centers, since there's a few in Brooklyn, or moved all the way across the city to places like the giant tent shelter on Randall's Island, or they're told to go reapply for shelter and kind of start the whole process again. So the guys I've been talking to, they're not just 
doing this process for fun. They're in general, like fleeing various forms of persecution and violence back home. I've talked to a man who says he was tortured by police in Mauritania and therefore had to flee. Um, another man showed me a picture of um, some dead bodies from back home in Venezuela, people he knew who'd been killed violently as part of his story of why he came here. So people, while this migration system is absolutely a mess and people are suffering, I think it's important to front load that that's the reason that they're doing it. They are running away from something. And in general, I would really like to highlight that these are normal guys. I think there's been a lot of fear-mongering around migrants in New York and the folks I've spoken to. They want to continue their studies or get a job in construction or get a job as a chef um, or send money back home if they can. And they're just sort of in limbo here. There's a lot of waiting. There's a lot of anxiety. That's sort of the picture of what we're looking at right now. And unfortunately, that 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 fear mongering it's led to those opinions in New York. That's uh, that's something that's been going on nationally and been going on for a lot longer than this crisis, which I think has kind of paved the way for the Absolutely. let's say the chilly reception these folks uh, received in especially in the mm-hmm. upstate counties. Um, mm-hmm. What about uh, mutual aid groups? Uh, are they making any difference uh, for what these guys are going through? I would say they are making a difference. Um, So the Respite Center on Stockton Street, it's right across from this place called Bushwick City Farm, which has been sort of a longstanding community aid, mutual aid center. You know, it's an urban farm. They do food giveaways. Um, There's older women from the neighborhood who, like, that's the, you know, that's their quote-unquote front porch. That's where they sit and kind of monitor the goings-on and gossip and stuff. And so when, you know, one day a couple months ago, this whole bus, well, many buses full of new guys to the neighborhood show up. These are the people that really started rallying. So um, these reports came out pretty quickly that at the Stockton Respite Center, there were not toilets. Running water was not something that they reliably had access to in there. It's basically like a warehouse building with cots. Um, and so the mutual aid volunteers, they organized to get porta potties and to get some grills in um, in the urban farm, so like in the middle of, you know, like the tomato patches by the chickens or whatever, there are these grills and groups of migrant guys will use the grills to make a really big chicken and rice dish or to make a bunch of arepas or whatever. Um, and so I think those things, just sort of these basic, here is a green space you can be in where you won't be policed. And here is a place where you can make food and start making connections to the local community. I think that has been really fundamental for a lot of these folks. Um and also in recent weeks, kind of more concrete stuff has started happening. Some some of the volunteers set up a DIY ESL class teaching folks how to say things in English like, you know, hello, my name is, here's where I'm from, here's how old I am. Um, and also like providing people with winter clothes. A lot of um, these guys come from really warm climates and have never been through a New York winter before. And oh, wow. so, you know, slides and flip flops and no big winter coat is not going to cut it, especially in these kinds of housing situations. And so I think that's been a really, really big thing, just trying to, you know, get everybody some coats. (laughs) Um, And so I think that has been huge. And mutual aid organizers just kind of trying to step up where there isn't really any clear directive from the city or the state um, to be like, okay, these are members of our community now. Um, That's 
been something that a lot of these guys have really been kind of depending on. Wow. And, you know, speaking of the, the, the difficulty and the confusion, I mean, I imagine you've encountered some challenges and confusion just as uh, the these migrants have uh, just trying to navigate the the system that they're kind of stuck in right now, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. I mean, for one thing, there is the issue of language. So they speak many different languages. A lot of them speak um, Spanish or Arabic or French, but then there's also folks who speak Wolof or Pular languages where they can't find translators nearly as readily. Even in New York City, you'd think you could find people that speak pretty much every language, but it's quite hard, especially folks who might be willing to, you know, help them figure out legal documents and stuff. Um, And so that's been a challenge both for them and in terms of reporting. It's like, okay, how do I figure out ways to communicate? A lot of it has been heavy reliance on the Google Translate app um, is how a lot of these guys are are navigating things like legal questions, um, which is definitely something is not super adequate because the Google Translate app has its limitations. Um, but so there's something like that. And then also there's just kind of, I guess there's the example of navigating work in the city that I'd like to talk about, if that's okay. Um, Yeah, absolutely. So in order to get an IDNYC municipal ID card, you need a formal address, right? And places like the Stockton Respite Center, they don't legally count as a residential address. And so some of the men living there, they tried to get IDs but wrote down the address of the Stockton Respite Center as their address. And then those applications got rejected on the grounds that that was not a residence. And so then if you can't get ID, you can't exactly get a work permit. And so a lot of people end up resorting to forms of under the table work. Um, some of them get their hands on mopeds so that they can work as delivery drivers, but then without an ID, of course, you can't get a license either. And so there have been over the summer, a few different like mass seizures of mopeds across the city. Um, so then if you're a delivery driver, your moped gets seized by the cops, then you can't work anymore and you're back to square one. Wait, is, so does, is that connected cycle. to uh, the migrant situation in New York City or is that just ancillary? The moped seizures, yeah. I would say some of them are connected because some of the moped seizures have been at the migrant shelters um, and have definitely impacted the migrants' ability to work, many of them. Wow. that's That sounds like a whole other story right there. But it, And here it is just a, one more example of the, the mm-hmm. challenges and the hurdles that they're encountering in this. Mm-hmm. I mean, how, how else have city policies, including, you know, recent changes announced by Mayor Adams, impacted the situation there, especially the living conditions and the prospects for these asylum seekers in the city? Well, I'd say broadly policies have been quite confusing. Um, Mayor Adams recently announced this 60-day shelter limit, has started imposing shelter limits even on families with kids. Um, And so that has been making a lot of folks anxious. um, And some of them are unclear on, for example, when their specific 60-minute timer starts ticking. You know, does it start the second they got into the U.S. or does it start when they got to New York or when they got to their current shelter? Because these would all be different timelines. Um, and so there's that. There's the kind of moving around of people that I alluded to earlier, which um, the folks who 
I spoke to who had recently been moved from the Stockton shelter to Randall's Island. They were informed of this via flyers that were put on their beds. And then the next morning they were put on a bus all the way across the city. Um, And so that can be really destabilizing. And I do get it on a certain level in that at Randall's Island, I'm told there is better food. There's better resources for these people. Um, There might even some, some of the guys I've spoken to staying there have said that, there are people there that can help them with their paperwork. I can't personally verify that because they're not letting any journalists into the shelter itself. You have to be a resident or somebody who works there to go in. So that's a disclaimer. Um, But yeah, so those policies have definitely been just really destabilizing people. I know the mayor's also kind of gestured towards suspending New York's right to shelter law. Massachusetts, I believe, is also restricting the mayor's. And so that could is not going to mean good things about pe- how much housing people are able to get as we go into the winter. Oh, um, my goodness. So, yeah, I'd say overall the prospects for asylum seekers in New York City on a policy level do not look like they're improving. Yeah, and like you said, winter's coming. The whole time you were describing all that, all I can think is like winter is coming and winter is hard yeah. in New York and New York City. Sophie, we're going to have to go in in just half a minute. Um, is there any is there enough time there for you just to to share any final thoughts that you have with us? I guess in general, there was this moment that really struck me that you mentioned earlier, where even the you know the people who have been dedicating hours and hours of their lives to trying to help these guys build a life in New York were like, honestly, maybe it's better if you leave. Try going to Jersey. Try going to Philly. That was really striking because what does it mean when even those who are the most dedicated to helping um, these asylum seekers find a home here realize that it might not even make sense to try that as compared to other places? Um, So that's something that I'd like to leave you with. And also that many of the guys I spoke to still really want to stay. And there's this one woman I talked to from Venezuela. She came here with her eight-year-old daughter, her eight-year-old celebrated her birthday in the jungle on the way here um she told me um and she she was like yeah you know i want to stay here forever the people here are good to me so 